0: And we're in the middle of a series called Worship in the Midst of, where we're looking at the life of David And as we look at his ups and his downs and his highs and his lows and all the chaos of his circumstances, somehow David is always able to find God and see God and worship God in the midst of all of these. And so how do we know this? Because we have the Psalms, most of which are written by David, and in these Psalms we see these Psalms are are ways that David processed his circumstances and his heart and his emotions with God. And the reason we're doing this series now is because you and I are also in the same sets of chaotic circumstances. We're in our ups and we're in our downs. And the question is, Are we seeing God in the middle of all of this? Are we able to process our circumstances and our emotions and our challenges with God so that regardless of the circumstance you find yourself in, you are able to worship Him in the midst of your circumstance? Now in today's message, I'm going to use a metaphor which I'm going to come back to time and time again and just for transparency, I took this one from Christine Kane and basically goes like this. Maybe you've been at the beach and uh, you're swimming in the waves and then at some point you look back to the beach and you realize you thought you were still in line with your family or your towels or whatever else you put down there and you've actually been moved along. And now because we know that this regularly happens as parents when we let our kids go out into the waves we keep on saying to them listen every time you catch a wave every time you kind of get up out the water just look back at the beach make sure you can see us make sure you are between this marker and that marker and if you're not just make sure you come back into play. For so long we've lived in the world assuming that Christianity holds a certain place in culture and we've become quite unaware of the drift that is happening in our lives. And so what we sometimes need to do is we need to look back to our reference points, look back to our North Stars, look back to the foundations of our faith, so that we can become aware sometimes of how this drift is happening in our lives, And while we aren't necessarily always swimming away actively from God, if we're not cognizant of this and looking back to our reference points, we're going to find that we get further and further and further away from the roots and the foundations of our faith. And not only is culture doing this to us, but now COVID-19 comes and it's kind of like these waves that are also beating upon us and pounding us and turning us upside down and inside out and so that we've got no idea of what's going on anymore and so we need to actively actively and intentionally look back to God as our reference point what is he saying is true about me about culture about himself about what's going on around me so that I can see him find him in the middle of my chaos and hopefully Worship him, see him as good and worthy of my worship. Now today we're going to be looking at Psalm 40, and while we don't know exactly which events this ties into with regard to David's life, it most likely comes from his fugitive years where he's still running away from King Saul, who wants him dead, and I'm hoping that you're going to see in the psalm how David looks back to his reference point, how David grows in trust, and as he grows in trust of God in the middle of these circumstances, so we too can learn the same lessons and see God in the middle of this disruption of life that we're living in at the moment. So Psalm 40, what we're going to do is we're going to look at it in five different sections and each section is going to teach us just how we can grow in our trust of God. And so the first three verses of Psalm 40 are going to teach us about trusting patiently, trusting patiently. This is what David says. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Now this is a wonderful response of the Lord to David's cry. But where does it start? It starts off with here. Line one, I waited patiently for the Lord. Now we're going to go back to this beach and waves and tides metaphor time and time again today. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you feel like you've lost control in the waves. I know I was certainly in a situation where I swam out in a certain way, I wanted to come back in, and I couldn't see my reference point, and the only option I had was to allow the waves to tumble me over these rocks, and it was a harrowing experience. Now, if someone said to me, as I'm in the middle of this chaos and this fear, if someone said, well, wait patiently. I think I would have had a few choice words for them and they probably wouldn't have been, God bless you. And so in the same way, maybe you're going through the chaos of your life and you're experiencing challenges like you've never experienced before. And now you hear these words, I waited patiently for the Lord. And you're like, that doesn't make sense to me right now. I don't know if you do what I do, but sometimes if I come in cold to a psalm like this, I tend to, for example, when I read these words, I tend to picture David, more the shepherd boy David, David playing his harp under a tree, surrounded by lush green grass, fluffy white clouds and fluffy white sheep, and he can, in that circumstance, rightly say, "Ah, I waited patiently for the Lord. And yet we know that that is so far from the truth where the reality is he wasn't surrounded by fluffy sheep, but by the wolves of Saul's army who were seeking to destroy him and kill him. He wasn't in a nice green field. He was hiding in caves. He wasn't having a nice afternoon nap in the sun. He was hiding away, running for his life. And yet even in the midst of all of that, he was still able to say, I waited patiently. I waited patiently. the Lord. And so I want to apply this to you in two different ways. And I'm going to just trust the Lord that as I apply this in your life, that He's going to make it clear to you where He wants you to notice what He's saying to you. And so for some of us, if you are to wait patiently for the Lord, some of us are being called to chill, to chill. Now I don't know if you're aware that if you're ever caught in a riptide out at sea, the worst thing that you can do is try and swim up against it because what's going to happen is you're not going to make any headway. The waves are going to eventually drown you as you lose your strength. So the best thing you can do in that moment of chaos is lie on your back. Fill your lungs with air, allow the riptide to take you out. It seems like it's taking you in the wrong direction, but what's going to happen is it's going to take you out beyond the waves, and as it returns back to the beach, it'll take you in over there with a lot less effort and fear of drowning. And so what some of you are doing is not only are you working hard, and we're all going to be working hard in the season, but you're freaking out. You're swimming upstream against some of your circumstances. You're maybe even fighting God in the middle of your circumstances. And for some of you, what you're being called to do right now is to chill, is to stop your frenzied activity because it may be the death of you. And so you need to create space in your life for you to fill your lungs with the breath of God, hear His voice, wait patiently for Him, see where He leads you as you trust where He takes you, even if it seems like He's taking you in the wrong direction, and just see how He works powerfully and providentially in your life. Whereas some of you maybe just simply cannot afford to do that. And so you are busy. You've got emails to send. You've got meetings to be at and to lead. You've got mouths to feed. And so, yes, life is chaotic for you. And so what does it mean to trust God patiently in the middle of this frenzied activity? And I think what it means is is to trust God expectantly. Because if I continue to trust Him, I'm going to trust Him today. I'm going to trust Him tomorrow, I'm going to wait on Him the next day, and kind of like in the waves, every time my head comes above the water, I'm going to look for Him. I'm going to look for those reference points until I see Him, and He answers me, and I hear His voice, and I'm able to align myself with the reference points of who He is and what He is saying and so lesson one is that we need to learn how to trust patiently the next few verses are going to teach us about trusting ultimately look at verse four verse four says blessed is the man who makes the lord his trust who does not look to the proud or to those who turn aside to false gods right there's trusting two things in the place of god that's the proud it's going to be people and things or false gods in our lives. Now, we touched on this briefly last week, where we can identify some of the idols in our lives by looking at what we see as our functional saviors in our time of chaos. As the waves are crashing over me, I'm not looking for the Lord. I'm not trusting in Him. I'm looking for something else or someone else to save me. And maybe that's a functional savior. Now, David says, I am trusting in God. Ultimately, I'm not trusting in people or the proud man or the strong man ultimately. And so maybe that sounds a little bit idealistic. How do we trust in God alone or God ultimately? Because yes, it is true. You do need to lean on people. You do need to trust people. You do need to lean on your doctor or your family or your financial advisor or your friends or your church in this time. We do need to lean on them. But somehow while we lean on them, we don't trust them ultimately because here's the thing about the strong man, the strong person that you're hoping to save you in this time. If you look to them instead of God, the, the issue is that they also have their own issues. You know, maybe the the doctor you're trusting in, and and again, I don't want to make you depressed. We do need to learn how to lean on other people. But at the end of the day, they also maybe have some concerns that are causing them to be, be distracted. Maybe they also have some health issues in their family, or maybe they also have suffered grief or suffered loss. And so we cannot lean wholly on them, but we can lean wholly on God. You see, these people in our lives have their own issues. They are finite and they are fallible and then this verse talks about the things that we look to as God in our lives now this goes beyond just leaning on someone for help. This is when I start to see good things as God things, as ultimate things. And I I know that I see them as God in my life because I'm defined by money or I'm defined by my appearance. And if I can have more of this thing in my life then I'm okay as opposed to trusting God ultimately. And here's the thing about these false gods in our lives, these functional saviors, No one but God can bear the weight of being God. Every other God, every other functional savior will disappoint you, will use you, will spit you out. But God, our God, is the one who is all wise, who has infinite capacity to love and to respond to you and to be sovereign in your life. And so we need to learn how to trust God ultimately. And so David's got a bit of a life hack to help us do this. And that we see in verse 5, where he says, Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. No one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, there would be too many to declare. And so what I want to challenge you to do so that you can see God for who He is is to write down, bring to mind, to journal all the good things that God has done for you in this life. Maybe you're going to even cross your mind to the Word. You're going to think about how God has created you, how He knew you before you were born, how God has worked good things in your life or bad things for good in your life, how God has sustained you, how God has saved you in Christ. He has given you His Holy Spirit And then maybe you think about those markers in your life where you can point out, yes, that's where God's goodness was seen visibly and experienced in my life. And as we itemize those things, our eyes grow as we see him, as we see more of him. And therefore, I trust him more. Now, as we move on to the next few verses, we're going to see how David is teaching us to trust God totally. Trust God totally. Now, many of us, and this is something that I've seen regularly, is that uh, especially in the church space, we learn how to trust God with the areas that we think are His areas. But then I trust me with the areas that I think fall under my jurisdiction. All right. So I trust God with kind of spiritual things. And then when it comes to life and business and everything else, I only trust myself. So how do we trust God totally? You know, there's a scene that plays itself out regularly in almost every single TV series and every single movie where someone goes over the side of a building or the side of a bridge and they manage to hold on to something, all right? And then someone is at the top and they're reaching down their hand and they are just out of touch with each other. And at some point, this person knows that if they don't do something soon, they're going to die to their death, right? And so the person at the top is saying, let go and just... Trust me. Now it's not enough for the person at the bottom to say, I trust you. At some point, they need to take the plunge. They need to take the risk, right? And take their full weight of their life and place it in the hands of this person who is reaching down to save them. And this is what God is asking you to do. It's not enough for us to say we trust them. We need to know how to trust them totally. Totally. To take the full weight of our lives not just the so-called spiritual or christian or churchy things the full weight of our lives and trust them. so what does this look like well let's read verses 6 to 8. sacrifice and offering you did not desire but my ears you have pierced burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require and then i said here i am i have come it is written about me in the scroll I desire to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Now, this reminds me of a skit that uh, one of my friend's brothers did when we were in a youth group in high school, and we were on a youth camp, and, um, you know, skits are little plays that kids put on to make a point or to make you laugh, all right? So, it was a uh, skit that he performed on his own and basically he stands up there and he's pretending like he's in church and basically what's happening is um, you see by his actions that the offering bag is coming around and so the offering bag comes around and he digs into his pockets pulls out his wallet looks for a few coins and throws it in the offering bag but as he's about to move it on he kind of hears from heaven and he's like he realizes that god wants more for him so he takes the bag back and opens up his wallet again and pulls out a few notes and he puts that in the bag, feeling proud of himself, moves it on. And then just before he lets go of it, he gets from heaven again. And God wants more from him. So he brings it back and, you know, pulls out and takes the whole wallet and puts it in the bag. And then now he, th- well, that's all I've got, right? And so he moves it on. And then he realized God still wants something more from him. And really that escalates until he gets it. And he himself kind of metaphorically climbs into the offering bag. See, God doesn't always want the little things that we can do for Him. He wants you. He wants you. He doesn't want you to think like you owe God because I've done this and this and that for Him. He wants all of you. He wants your whole life. You see, listen, you can go and make literally the worst decisions in your life. And if you genuinely call out to God, He will save you. Because He is good and He is that good. However, at some point we make, need to make a decision. And this comes back to a very similar point last week. But there's a reason why this particular theme comes up in all of the Psalms. And sometimes we need to be reminded of these things. At some point I've got to stop seeing God as the one I turn to to bail me out of difficult situations. And I've got to actually trust Him with all of my life. What does David say in verse 8? He says, I desire to do your will, O God. Your law, your ways is within my heart. And so if I'm going to trust God, for example, with my finances, not only does it mean praying a little prayer that God kind of makes magical things happen on your, in your bank account today, but it means I'm also going to do finances His way. Not only do I trust God with my marriage in a general sense but I do life and marriage His way. I do sex His way. I do family His way. I make decisions according to my time His way because I trust Him. I trust Him totally and that is the point that David is trying to drive home here. If I say I trust Him, that's at the end of the day means I'm going to be doing his will and having his ways and his law upon my heart the next few verses are going to teach us about trusting god boldly trusting god boldly now let's go back to this metaphor about being at the beach you know 20 30 years ago life was pretty easy especially if you were a christian The culture was generally Christian. A lot of the things upsetting us weren't present. All right, we could switch our lights on and they would stay on. Everyone hadn't moved to Canada and Australia yet. All right, Uh, things were kind of economically more stable in our lives. And that's kind of like being at the beach where things are super chilled. There's no big undercurrent and the waves are just lapping at my feet. And so, yes, every time I look back to the beach, oh, there's Jesus. All right, I feel pretty secure in where I am but life has changed we don't have little waves tapping at our feet anymore all right we've got big waves dumping on our heads turning us upside down we've got currents pulling us in 40 different directions and so in this environment we cannot afford to live faith with timidity anymore we need to learn how to live with boldness listen to what David says in verse 9 and 10 I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly." Now listen, boldness with our faith doesn't necessarily mean rocking up at the beach with our Jesus cosy, our Holy Spirit towel, our victory in Jesus blankets and umbrella, blood of Jesus, sunscreen all over me. I've got my Bluetooth speaker and I'm playing my contemporary Christian music and I'm doing this to be bold for Jesus. You see, there's a difference between boldness and being brainless because if I see you on the beach like that, I'm gonna avoid you, right? The problem is with the guy wearing the Jesus cosy, he probably can't even swim. In these currents. So what does it mean to be bold? What it means to be bold is to recognize that there are so many things competing for my attention. I'm in this current that is pulling me away from those markers. And if I am going to remain true to these markers, I am going to need to swim in the opposite direction where the currents are taking everybody else that way. I need to be willing to be criticized and misunderstood for the sake of staying true to my faith and that's going to require boldness but in addition that boldness is going to require us to recognize that there are other swimmers out there that are getting sucked under that are struggling to keep their heads above the water and so it is going to require boldness and courage from you to engage them and to point them to towards these reference points. That is ultimately the truth and the reality of God and Christ in their life. He's the only one who can save them in this situation. And then the final few verses teach us about trusting vulnerably. Trusting vulnerably. So where do I get that from? Well, let's read from verse 11 to the end. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. It's outward troubles. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see this inward troubles. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted. And yet, I am poor and needy. And may the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. O my God, do not delay What we see here is David's willingness to admit his weakness and his faults to humble himself and come to God in all weakness and vulnerability, declaring, here is my great need of you. And guys, we need to learn to do exactly the same thing. I know, I know some of you push back saying, but that makes me feel weak and exposed and vulnerable. And the point is exactly you see maybe your friends are impressed by this bold front that you put on or maybe your family are even deceived when you act like you've got it all together but when we come to god it's kind of like and again parents would know this i don't know if you've ever been in the situation where you know someone or in this case your kids need your help on something but they're like no we've got this we've got this down now you know they don't have this down but they're too proud to admit it they you too proud to admit they need your help, to admit their weakness and their dependency upon you. So what do you do? You say, okay, that's fine. And you watch them kind of just spiral down, right? Now by us coming to God, thinking we don't need Him, thinking that I've got it all together, I'm strong, there's no problems in my life, the net result is we are cutting ourselves off from the help He so badly wants to give us. And so God is calling us to get desperate and weak and vulnerable. God's word says that God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And so I need grace. I want grace by definition is that with which uh, that which only God can give. I need what only God can give. And the way I access that Is not by coming to him in my strength but by coming to him in my weakness so as we wrap up by way of application we've already touched on a number of practical areas in your life but we realized that last week when we spoke about praying scripture that this is something that we need to drive home a little bit more we need to help you and equip you to do this a little bit more ultimately Not giving you five things to do, but putting you in touch with God's word and God's spirit in prayer, abiding in him, experiencing the transformation that only he can bring by his presence and his power. By praying scripture, this is a way of coming vulnerably before him, trusting him and him alone. So I want to give you four very basic points to help you pray scripture. And the first one is to be aware. There are going to be four A's. Number one, be aware. What I mean by that is notice what the Holy Spirit is wanting you to notice. What points stood out for you in today's message or maybe even more importantly. Which part of God's word seemed most alive to you or most convicting or most challenging or or maybe you're trying to avoid those verses because you know God is calling your attention to those verses. Be aware of those verses and actually be willing to go to where God is taking you. And then number two, I encourage you to admit and so for example, if God is saying to you, I want you to be aware of verse 11 and 12, where we've been called to come to God in our weakness and our vulnerability, what I'm going to start to do is I'm going to admit what comes out of these verses. So for example, do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. There might be something in me that's saying, Lord, I, I don't deserve your mercy. I failed and I keep on looking everywhere but you. And so please don't withhold your mercy from me. And may your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without numbers surround me. And I don't, don't just pray those words, itemize them. What are those troubles? Lord, I'm so afraid about what's going on financially in our nation and even in my own bank accounts. I don't know what to do about it. I, I, I don't know where to turn. Or Lord, there are some health issues that I'm deeply concerned in the people around you or in my own life. This is a trouble that I'm not looking for, but it's, it's taking up valuable space in my heart and my mind. And so there are all these troubles around me. List them, itemize them, pray them out towards God. This is not informing Him. He knows these things. It is trusting him with these issues. And my sins have overtaken me. And I cannot see. All right. And this is an opportunity for me to admit my need for him and to admit where I'm struggling. Then, number three, I'm going to amend. And what do I mean by that is I need to amend my thinking. Here's how I've been seeing these troubles. Here's how I've been seeing my circumstances. But as I look back at this reference point, I need to change what I think. I need to amend what I think. So God, in these verses, what is ultimately true? What do you say about me? What do you say about my circumstances? And so maybe you let to verse 5. Oh, Lord, many are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us, and so on. And so, yes, Lord, I'm going to just itemize and I'm going to remind myself of all the good things you have done. I'm going to allow my heart and my faith to grow, my vision of who you are and your goodness to grow as I fix my eyes on you, Lord, and your goodness. And I redefine my perspective by your word. And finally, act. So we're going to be aware of what God is saying. We're going to admit where we're failing according to what we see in these verses. We're going to amend our thinking according to God's truth, and then we're going to act And so what is God calling you to do? And and maybe as you think about what God is calling you to do, you know that God is calling you to live your faith with more courage. And so you go to verse 9 and verse 10. Oh Lord, I proclaim your righteousness. Oh Lord, help me not be silent about my faith. Help me look for you. Help me be willing to swim upstream against those who are swimming in the opposite direction. Give me strength that I do not have in order to do that. Lord, let me see those reference points with utmost clarity so that I can stay with You. Provide all I need for that. And Lord, make me aware of those around me who are drowning, who are struggling. And may I too be a point of encouragement and grace in their life. And So as we go through these four A's, that was just one way that we could process this psalm in that way. But you've got to figure out what God is saying to you, what God is calling you to do. So as we wrap up today, let's pray. Father, I do ask that every single one of us will have a profound sense of what you are wanting us to be aware of. I pray that even now, your voice would become clear in our mind, in our heart, in our consciences. As we look at Psalm chapter 40, there are going to be verses that stick out, that you are wanting us to engage with you in, as we trust you. And Father, as we come to you in prayer, as we pray these scriptures, God, I pray that we would not only see words on a page, we would see you. We would see your reference point. We would know and experience your saving power and your strength in our lives. Father, help us trust you boldly and totally and vulnerably. We pray all of this, Lord, in your name. Amen.